Welcome to Industry Roundtable with Roger Reiswick. I'm Roger Reiswick, Fellow and Vice President of Industry Relations at Johnson Controls. In this series, I will host leaders in the industry to explore fire and life safety issues that matter to you. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, Today's topic on Industry Roundtable will be risk analysis as it pertains to a mass notification system. And my guest today is Mr. Wayne Moore, and Wayne is a fire protection engineer and has spent many years working on the design, layout, and other various engineering aspects of these life safety systems. Wayne works at Jensen Hughes, and uh, Wayne, thank you today for taking time to speak with me. It's my pleasure, Roger, and happy to be here. Great. Wayne, could you just give us a quick understanding of what your role is at Jensen Hughes, uh, what your function is, and maybe even what Jensen Hughes does as an engineering company? Well, first of all, Jensen Hughes is a multidisciplinary engineering company today. Uh, started out focused on fire protection only, but now has moved into multiple directions, uh, providing safety-related engineering throughout the world with multiple offices and has grown to a large force of engineers, about 1,300 engineers out there. I personally started 40 years ago in the industry, but 20 years uh, with Jensen Hughes. And uh, my background is fire protection engineering. And currently, I've served many roles, but I'm currently the vice president and technical fellow uh, for the company and uh, heavily involved in the uh, design part of the business and the quality control part of the business uh, with our technical excellence director. I think you're pretty well versed in this subject and uh, something that we see come up a lot now in our recent building codes and standards. You know, when we start looking at this, um, I I like to look at the history or some of the uh, information about how did we get to where we are today. And NFPA 72 actually introduced the concept of mass notification systems, or MNS, as we refer to it, uh, all the way back in the 2007 edition of uh, NFPA 72 by way of Annex E. Uh, Can you talk about maybe a little bit about your involvement and maybe how some of that came about uh, within 72? Sure. The way it came about in 2007, at least, was that the Department of Defense, who had been using MNS ever since the disaster at Cobar Towers over in the Middle East, where we lost a number of people, came to the NFPA 72 Correlating Committee and said, we would like to have NFPA 72 include MNS as part of the code and allow us to combine fire alarm and MNS in one control panel and also use the same speakers for both systems. Uh, unfortunately, in 2007, they came to us when the cycle was almost over, and we could not include it because it was all new material, but we could include it as an annex. So that began Annex E. Then in 2010, in between then, I was assigned to be the chair of a new chapter called Emergency Communication Systems, Chapter 24, and we took what was in Annex E and other input from both DOD and lots of other sound and communications people, and developed Chapter 24, and uh, it became actual code in the 2010 edition and has been refined as we move forward through the 2019 edition. Now, when you talk about the chapters in the annexes, and maybe not our audience, everyone in our audience understands maybe fully what that is. So could you just really quickly talk about the difference between a chapter and an annex within 72, and I guess it would be the same for all NFPA documents. 
Well, I'll speak to Interface Heavy 2 specifically, but the fire alarm code by itself doesn't require you to put a system in. That comes from the building or life safety code. But once you decide to put a system in, then you have to follow Interface 72. Each chapter has a separate technical committee that looks at the requirements for that chapter, whether it be for protective premises, notification appliances, for example, or emergency communication systems. The information in the chapter is all requirements. Uh, there are all shell requirements. And in the annex, it's explanatory material. So, for example, we may have a requirement in the chapter, regardless of which chapter it is, and someone says, well, we need to explain what that means. The ANSI documentation doesn't allow us to explain it within the chapter. It has to be explained in a separate annex so that it is not confused with a requirement. So the, the main difference is requirements are in the chapters, and the annex material contains explanatory or guidance material. Thank you for, for that. And uh, I use the annexes a lot. It kind of helps understand a little bit about what the committee was uh, was talking about or maybe a little bit more of the intent of what was uh, going into the chapters themselves. So when we get into 72 and we start talking about the uh, standard and how to put these systems in, there's some new terms that have been added into uh, 72. Um, with this major inclusion of mass identification systems, we have risk analysis and emergency response plans um, and I, I see those terms used you know, kind of intermixed sometimes and maybe not used the way that they're intended to be used according to the code. Could you kind of explain to us what risk analysis and emergency response plans are and how they're in the code? Sure. In general, an emergency response plan is a plan developed by an owner or an organization that says when X, Y, or Z happens, this is how we plan to respond to keep everyone safe. And so you try to anticipate what the problems are going to be. The risk analysis is part of the emergency response plan. In other words, the, you use the risk analysis to get to the emergency response plan. You look at each risk uh, that you might expect within your space or within your jurisdiction or your area and say, all right, we, we don't get tornadoes here so we don't have to worry about that as a risk. So it's very low on the list, so we don't have to worry about that. But we do get flooding, so then we have to plan for what happens when we're told about flooding. And so you develop your response based on your risks and the probability of those risks. You know, if you get a 500-year flood, they use that term because they say you're not going to get it that often, and it may not be 500 years, maybe less, but... It extends out the time frame, and you say, well, we don't have to plan for that every year, uh, so it's going to be lower on the list. We will plan for it, but it's not what happens to us every day. We may be worried about shooters in our building, so we, you know, active shooters, so then we would put a response plan in for that. So the, the risk analysis brings all of the stakeholders together, and the stakeholder is anybody that has an interest in it. So, for example, in some organizations, it's not only going to be the management team, but it's going to maybe include the union or representative of the workers if it's non-union, and it's going to include the police department, the fire department, uh, anybody who's going to respond to that building so that everybody can agree that, A, the risk is real, and, B, this is how we should respond to it. And through all of that discussion and determining the probabilities, 
you then develop your emergency response plan. Okay. So it sounds like the response plan and the risk analysis are unique per building then. It's not like a cookie cutter where we can take a lot of the code and say this is pretty much how all sprinkler systems or fire alarm systems go in. But when we come to a mass notification system, it sounds like it's going to be unique and particular to your situation or application. That's exactly right. And that's why specifically with an MNS, you cannot just throw technology at the problem. If someone comes to me and says, if let's say I was installing systems, uh, I want an MNS system, I can't just say, all right, I've got this stuff on the shelf, I'll throw it in, you'll be all set, you've got your MNS. The question remains, well, how are you going to use it? And one of the issues that we added into the code, which is unique, or the requirements, I should say, is that an MNS is allowed to override or take precedence over a fire alarm signal, but only under certain circumstances. And that's the reason for having the fire official as part of the stakeholder meetings for the risk analysis, because the fire official is going to determine his or her agreement on whether or not you can override a fire alarm signal. And that takes into a whole plethora of, of issues, such as is the building sprinklered, is, uh, what's our response time, what do we expect for types of fires in the building, and then they make those determinations, and that's how you move forward from that point. Okay, so that's how we start to bring in what we call the AHGA or the authority having jurisdiction uh, into the mix, that they play a key part as well in understanding uh, how these systems would interface or maybe uh, override in some cases the fire exactly. line notification. Exactly. And, and I, th- I think the important part to remember is that the MNS is just a small portion of the overall emergency response plan. But it's an important part because once you've determined all of the different responses you're going to make, you want to have the correct messaging on your MNS to assist the occupants in meeting those responses. Very good. So in some of the latest editions of the building codes in both NFPA and the International Code Council, or the I-Code as we refer to it, uh, the International Building Code, they're starting to require that a risk analysis be performed for many of the occupancy types or occupancy groups. So what does this mean to a building owner when they're working with an architect or an engineer and they come across these sections that now say, in this occupancy, you're required to do a risk analysis? What does that mean to them? Well, hopefully it just means that they take their existing emergency response plan and from it their risk analysis and say, okay, we've covered everything. And here is the risk analysis that we've done, and that's how we want to have the MNS designed to meet. If they haven't done that, the billing code is basically telling you, at the very minimum, before you throw technology into the building to do this, you've got to determine why you're doing it and what risks you're addressing with the system. That's strictly what it, it, it means. Yeah. And, I, and I think you had a good point there is uh, I think a lot of building owners, they might not realize it, but they probably already have a form of an emergency response plan put together. You know, in the event of fire, this is what we do, or if there's an intruder, this is what we do, or, or if there's an earthquake, seismic activity, and uh, they, can, they can use a lot of that information already. Uh, so I think that's a good point to note that it's not starting from, in a lot of cases, nothing, that a lot of customers or end users have something to start with. Well, exactly. I I think one of the issues that uh, I've seen is that there were people worried about 
doing this M&S, and they were representatives from the college and universities field. Well, in that field, or in those occupancies, they have a emergency response plan already developed. And they simply have to go to that MNS, I mean, excuse me, that risk analysis and use it to develop the MNS portion that's going to fit into the emergency response plan. So it's relatively yeah, it's simple in that regard. Yeah, and as I've been doing this for a while as you, when you walk into a lot of these larger business occupancies or universities and manufacturing facilities, they have the binders on the wall. And if it's fire, I grab the red binder and this is what I do. If it's a security event or an intruder, I grab the blue binder. And uh, so it's it maybe not as intimidating as some people uh, might think it is if they just you know, take a step back. Some of the materials are already there. And, and there are a lot of guides available to assist those in the field. First of all, for the M&S, uh, there's an annex material for a risk analysis called the Risk Analysis Checklist. And that's for number A7.3.6 in NFPA 72-2019. And that's a couple of pages that walks you through the thought process of an MNS. The government, on their websites, you can just Google emergency response plan or, or risk analysis, and you'll come up with some uh, documents that the federal government have put together that I find very comprehensive and useful to guide somebody who's never done this to a conclusion. But as we said earlier, the, the point is many, many owners already have such a response plan. They just didn't call it that. They right. just said, this is what we do in the event of. Right. So in a way, they almost maybe started to do a little bit of the risk analysis, too, to say, well, what are we going to do in the event of a fire? And, well, and they put it together, make sure that these doors are open, the fire department's going to respond in this fashion, and meet them at this point. Um, and so the elevators have recalled. Yeah, they just might have not called it the same thing as we're referring to it here. Right. We've been talking a lot about this risk analysis uh, thing, which is relatively new to NFPA 72, or at least in the fire life safety world that, that I've been playing in. So when we look to have a risk analysis performed uh, for a mass notification system as prescribed in the codes in now 72, who is able to provide this service, and are there any qualifications that a building owner or an engineer uh, should be looking at for this person to have? Well, I think the qualifications need to be someone who has been involved in doing risk analysis and emergency response plans for other owners. Obviously, that would be the best way to pick it, but uh, I suspect an electrical contractor could not do this effectively. I think anybody can follow the checklist and come to a point where they They've got a, a, a general idea of what's going on, and that might be enough. Uh, you know, you're not going to do the same risk analysis for a two-story wood frame building as you would for a uh, you know 40-story high-rise or for a industrial facility that has a, a fair amount of maybe chemicals or what have you. So each risk analysis, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be different for different occupancies, so that. You can use engineers. Engineers have uh, generally been taught risk analysis in school. There are, there are plenty of courses out there that would guide you through risk management or risk analysis. Uh, risk management's been in the insurance industry for a lot of, a lot of years. And so it's not a new concept in general, but it's a new concept to our profession. Uh, and by that, I mean our fire alarm world, as you described it earlier. I mean, 
fire life safety, uh, we never did a risk analysis for fire because that was the risk. Right. So we didn't have to go beyond that. And uh, now we're going beyond that. And so you just have to follow through. So I think in general, anybody that can think through the risks and you follow the stakeholder documentation, uh, that's the hardest part is to get the people together, to get them to think through what their risks are and how they would respond. And you'd be surprised how the you get IT sitting at the same table with management and with the fire service and the police department and maybe, say, myself as the coordinator of the stakeholder meeting, and they can't agree on how they want to respond. So that means they never thought about it. Or if they did, they thought about it individually and assumed how they'd respond. So it does bring out a lot of good information. And basically, the, the MNS itself is there to help solve some of those communication problems. Well, that's interesting. And bringing in a variety of people like you just described to be part of this team or the stakeholders, as we refer to it in code, um, is a key part. And also then having somebody to uh, corral the cats, if you will, and uh, to help bring those questions to light and also somebody that has a little bit of experience then to also um, maybe offer a different insight or a different uh, way of thinking about something than the uh, general people around the table have at the uh, existing facility. I would agree. And one of the examples I use a lot when I'm teaching is that uh, I was at a college campus uh, that was in the mountains, and uh, we've got the stakeholder meeting started, and I'm assuming that the number one on the list will probably be some kind of active shooter risk analysis. And they said, oh, no, we're worried about floods. And it's because they had a dam nearby that during the spring might overflow because of the snow melt or what have you. Long story short, when we started talking about this, we realized that where do you normally put your fire alarm control panel in the basement? Well, if you put your MNS and fire alarm control panel in the basement and you have a flood, you're taking out all of the systems almost immediately. And so it was determined that all future systems would be installed on the second floor above the flood plane that they had expected. Very interesting. Very interesting. So definitely the situation or the applications change where you go geography-wise as well as maybe some of the other type of threats due to the environment uh, on where you are. Again, it just goes back to the need of they're not cookie-cutter systems, as you were talking about earlier. And with any of these things, it doesn't reduce threats completely, but it allows you to reduce the uh, impact of the threats. So you may still have an active shooter who shoots people, but you'll get people away faster with an MNS telling them what to do uh, than you normally would under non-MNS conditions. Right. And that's what we've said in the code and what you've said for a long time, uh, providing real-time information and instructions to people to help them uh, self-preserve or, or possibly save their lives. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Wayne, I really appreciate your insight today and taking some time to sit down with us and um, convey to our audience a little bit more about risk analysis and uh, emergency response plans as it relates to a mass notification system. So thank you again, and I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Roundtable. Be on the lookout for more podcasts in the coming weeks covering a range of fire and life safety-related topics.